Hello, hello, hello. I am your Ethel Merman, hostess with the mostest, Michael Munoz. And welcome to In Yo Mouth! In Yo Mouth. I'm the queen of food who's always in the mood. To lick it right, lick it good, show you how to... Oh, God, that's good. I want to know what you eat from the streets to the sheets. So open wide, honey. I'm coming. In Yo Mouth. goosebumps. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cash back. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashbackdebit. Discover Bank, member FDIC. Hey there and welcome back, folks. Once again, I am your hostess with the most is Munoz. And are y'all ready? Are y'all ready? Tomorrow, it's it. It's it. Tomorrow we say, so long, farewell, I'll feed a zane to summer. That's it, folks. That's it. Today is the last day to get all your rosé in. You know what? I'll even forgive you if you if you wear a little bit of white today. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, get your, get your last lobster rolls in. Get in, you know, I'm, the sun is setting earlier still. I, I am a big advocate of getting, storing up the vitamin D in any which way or shape that you can because... Um, for those of us that live within the seasons, you know, we're we're about to go into the cold and the dark. So we need everything to like kind of charge our solar energies here. Other than that, um, folks, last week I went to see, this is non-food related, um, I went to see Diana Ross and it was probably one of the most amazing concerts I have seen. And at 78, the woman is doing her thing. And if you can get there... Get there, queens, and in-betweens, because... (laughs) So good. It was just so, so good. Other than that, all I have to say is thank you to Amazon Music. We are celebrating and promoting Amazon Music this month because they are celebrating and promoting your girl, Munoz. So um, shout out to them. If you're not listening on Amazon Music, maybe you should be. And other than that, I want to get to the getting on because I'm really, really excited for today's guest. Somebody who I should have probably been in contact with a very long time ago because... You know, I call myself the OG of food media, but this one, like, predates me, honey. She is the OG of food media at the beginning. Um, Predates your girl, Munoz. So without further ado, please help me welcome the one, the only, Adam Roberts. Say hi. Hi. Oh, my God. What an (laughs) intro. That was so impressive. I need to take lessons from you on my own podcast. I don't have... 
nearly as half as much energy as you do. Oh, it's listen. This is the show, honey. This we're, we're here to celebrate you, but I am the show. You are the show. Yeah, I just want some popcorn. I just want to watch you keep going. It's great. <laughs> It's so funny. In your mouth, listeners, it's so funny to watch my guests' faces as I kind of intro the podcast because, you know, we have a short conversation beforehand, as most of you may know who have been listening to me for a long time, but I don't talk to my guests for very long. I like to hit the record button and get it moving. And so it's, it's you know, it's calm, Munoz. It's like, hey, how you doing? And then the record button gets hit and we are we are off to the races. <laughs> yeah, I love that. That's great. You you're putting on a show. That's that's what the people are paying for. So it is, great. you know, it I, I attribute it to my musical theater background, ah, which we will get into a little later I didn't in the know podcast. That. Okay. Don't you we know? all don't all gay men in food have some kind of musical theater background at some point? You would think it came in our box, but some people have lost it. Like it, yeah. it some people it fell out. You know? uh, yeah. I think there's a, I mean I just listen to show tunes whenever I cook. So maybe that's just me, but I feel like you a know, lot of people do too. It is. It is. Yeah. I mean, it's part. It's part of our gay genealogy, whether we accept it or not. Like, you know, it, it's the part of the genealogy the ancestry or the twenty three andme doesn't give you. you know? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, Adam. First and foremost, thank you for giving me of your ver- a time out of your very busy schedule and coming here. It's an honor and a pleasure to have you on. But before we get anywhere, I gotta do what I gotta do. And Adam, in the grand tradition of in yo mouth, I need to wish you happy National Pecan Cookie Day. <laughs> Wow, yeah. thank you, and happy Pecan Cookie Day to you. Now, uh, great debate. Is it pecan, pecan or is it pecan? I'm very self-conscious with certain words because I grew up in New York, and I had, growing up, a very thick New York accent. So my husband, who's from the Pacific Northwest, makes fun of me for saying orange instead of orange and horrible instead of horrible. Then I went to college in Atlanta, so pecan... And pecan, I feel like a New Yorker would say pecan. Like my mom would be like pecan pie, and then mm-hmm. like in the South they'd be like pecan. Right? Is that where they say pecan? Yeah, yeah. I so I have a British friend who recently said pecan <laughs> to me, and I was like, pecan "What's a pecan? Pie. A pecan pie, right?" And he was right. like, "I think." And he was uh, there were pe there were pecans in this apple pie, and he called them pecans. And I was like, "Pecans? What's a pecan?" And then a long time ago, a southerner corrected me that a pecan is something you urinate in, and a pecan <laughs> is a nut. Oh, okay. I like that. That's, that's true. Now that I hear it that way, I'll probably right? never hear pe- pecan again. The yeah. Same way. No, no, wow. no, no. Right? And so it's National Pecan, pecan Cookie <laughs> Day? Is that what you yeah, said? Yeah. It's National Pecan Cookie Day, right? I mean, who comes up with this stuff? I'm sorry. I don't mean to question your whole podcast's format, but like, where do these days come from it's the age-old question and to <laughs> the person to the person or persons who run foodimentary because they seem to be the authority on these f- national food holidays i don't know if they've excerpted it uh excerpted it from someplace or they um they came up with them themselves but it's it's across the board. I can trust foodimentary for. No, I, mean, I need I, to I know, know that it's real, but like I I've seen it on like Twitter and stuff. But at the same time, it just feels kind of arbitrary. Like yeah, why would I today mean, be pecan 
cookie day versus you're like so self conscious about Picasso. I, <laughs> I know. I'm being very careful as I say. I don't know. I'm very, very suspicious of all this. I feel like I want to like hire a private investigator to like look into these days and see what the oh. real deal is. If it's, oh, wow. I feel like there's got to be money. She's rich. She's like, she's just rich hiring, hiring investigators. I want to be that private investigator. That's, that's going to be like my Julianne Margulies character. And yes. um, I feel like it has to have money behind it. I feel like the pecan industry is paying somebody to make today National Pecan Cookie Day. Maybe, but the the thing is, do we really care? I mean, I love a cookie. I am a cookie <laughs> monster, all right? I will I will devour me some cookies, but I like there's already a cookie monster. I, I think you need a new title. I, I will. I I am second <laughs> too, you know? Okay. I, yeah, I, yeah. I'm the backup, right? Okay. <laughs> but like, no, really, like it doesn't get as much steam as let's say National French Friday or National Cheeseburger Day or National like things things the people quote unquote really care about you know but me right. and lady kazan over here are like <laughs> uh, we're, we're here for national pecan day why not pecan oh, yeah. day. i mean a pecan sandy mm, yeah. delicious no they're great cookies i don't i don't want to disparage the cookie i'm really just raising a question mark over the day and why and why is, a lot of them don't make sense and we don't have an answer unfortunately but i love this discussion and we could uh, this could be the entire podcast and <laughs> and you may have to come back to do yes. that entire podcast with me okay. and we'll just go i feel like it's like the matrix for you like i'm giving you the blue pill or the red pill and it's going to change your whole podcast format after you like see the the reality behind these days like what's really yes, going on yes yes you know what we're going to we're going to put a pin in that and we are going to come <laughs> back and do okay. an entire why are there national food holidays episode yes. right okay. but right okay. now no matter what you celebrate whether it's national pecan cookie day or it's pecans at the Eagle, I don't even know. <laughs> right now, we celebrate you. And moving right along into this day in gay history, I found this really interesting. Adam, did you know that in 1993, Married with Children's Amanda Bears talks about being a lesbian in an advocate interview? She is the first primetime television star to come out? I remember that. I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember watching Married with Children and being very excited to find out that the neighbor, I forgot her character's name, but she was like the annoying neighbor that Al Bundy hated. And to find out she was a lesbian was was definitely eye-opening. And it was during a time in my life where I was always excited to hear about it. Like somebody you wouldn't think was gay necessarily coming out. And so, yes, I remember that very well. You know what I didn't realize, though, is that she was the first. Yeah. You know? Um, That's interesting. Is that, isn't of, that, um, the mom from Family Ties, Mer- Meredith Baxter Burney, I think eventually came out, but it wasn't until much later, you know. So yeah, I could totally see that being true. Yeah, right. So weird and just such a, you know, I, 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 I do these things right as a throwback to our gay history because we need to keep it in the in the present, you know. And so, um, but like you just think like something like that would have been been more present or somebody before her would have like come out first you know mm-hmm. but uh, i mean shout out to you amanda bears and i hopefully think i think you're still working out there i don't know <laughs> yeah i haven't seen her in a while but it is interesting to think about like others i mean i remember the dad from the brady bunch was gay right 
Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I don't think and, speak, and speaking of gay, there is a full protest happening outside in <laughs> in Times Square. We are fighting for our rights. And in your mouth, listeners, I know you love the ambient noise, but you're getting the most of it today, right? And that's what that's the joys of living in 120 square feet uh, in, in Times Square. <laughs> is it really 120 square feet? Yeah, there? it's the fa- it's the fabulous Times Square Studios. Right, oh, it's a studio. Okay. No, it's like my it's my studio. Really, apartment. that's what. Do you, have a, do, you, do you are you able to cook in there? <laughs> yes, I used to make I used to make custom cakes out of here, like wedding cakes. Wow, that's amazing. right. I've I had a cottage kitchen, honey. Right, I I catered. I did the whole thing. But listen, we're not here to talk about me. We're here <laughs> to talk about you. And, and I want to get to the getting on. In your mouth, listeners, if you didn't know, and you probably already do, Adam Roberts is a self-taught cook and humor writer whose food blog, The Amateur Gourmet, was named the 11th best food blog of all time by First We Feast. He is the author of two books, The Amateur Gourmet and Secrets of the Best Chefs, which was named the best cookbook of the year by the Daily Mail. Roberts has written articles and recipes for such outlets as the Washington Post, the LA Times, Food and Wine, Salon, Serious Eats, and Food 52. You know, just to drop a few names. Uh, He was the host of the Food Network's first ever web series, The FN Dish, and a staff writer, then story editor on the ABC sitcom The Real O'Neills. His podcast, The Amateur Gourmet Podcast, features intimate interviews with food world stars such like Ruth Rachel, Fergus Henderson, and Melissa Clark, soon to be Michael Munoz, hopefully. Oh, yes. (laughs) And um, his latest book, Give My Swiss Charts to Broadway, the official Broadway Lover's Cookbook, co-written with Tony nominee Gideon Glick, arrives on shelves October 2022. And that's October 4th, people. Yes. (laughs) Got it. Okay, yes. And we're back, right? Oh, my goodness. Well, thank you for being here. Adam, listen, you and I were talking before we started here about how we are fairly OGs of food media. I started a blog that shall not be no longer be named in 2009, right? But I was really interested to find out that you started your blog in 2004. You were at, like, the forefront of the blogging the blogosphere, honey. I'm on the, the blog- Mount Rushmore of, uh, of food bloggers. <laughs> yeah, you and um, gluten-free girl, um, uh-huh. Shauna Ahern, right? Yeah, I remember her. Yeah, I they- mean, I know her. Yeah, all these. Yeah. And it was David Leibovitz and um, Deb from Smitten Kitchen and Clotilde. Yeah, from Smitten Chocolate Kitchen. Bikini. Yeah, they all all from early 2000s. And when it was just this, like, weird, weird niche thing to do, like, it felt like the most obs- like obscure little pocket of the internet. It, there was no sense that food blogs were going to become a thing, um, and now now it's such a thing that it's like I don't even recognize food blogs anymore. Like with those like huge SEO like optimization things and like boxes and printing things and uh, it's just I don't even know what they they. they they kind of baffle me, but I'm going on a rant. Keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's a, it's just a, it's a, such an interesting world from from whence we came to where we are. 
honestly, because I mean, my first blog was what the blog, uh, blog spot, and then like yeah. I struggled with WordPress forever. But like, I want to—I love to start at the very beginnings, right? And I want to know, and I'm sure the audience want wants to know, like, what drove you? Like, where where did the love of food come from that made you want to start this blog? I grew up in a Jewish family in New York um, and then eventually Florida. Uh, I was obsessed with meals, but not obsessed with cooking. So there was never any cooking at home, but we were always going out to Italian food, to Chinese food. Um, We were just, my mom and my grandmother in particular, just like loved being in a restaurant. They were very, that was like them at the, they were like captains of the ship. Like that's where they were the most in control. And it was always a, it was like life was meals. It was always like, where are we going to breakfast? Where are we going to lunch? Where are we going to dinner? Day after day. And so I went to college and was a creative writing major. And I was a little bit of a lost soul. And so my parents kind of urged me to go to law school. And um, it was a terrible decision. Uh, I did not enjoy law school. But while I was there, somehow I got lured into the kitchen. And it was a novelty because I'd never had cooked before a day in my life. And I started um, just making like tomato sauce from scratch and like doing Betty Crocker's recipe for chili. And I instantly loved it. It was just like a, a love affair immediately. And I started writing about it on this forum that was on the internet called Eagle It. I don't know if you remember that. It was like a, yeah, of course. a forum. Yeah. And um, basically a friend of mine at the time or two friends of mine were like, you should start a blog. And it was so early on that I had no idea what a blog was. And I was like, what's that? And they sent me some blogs. And then I, I think I, I used TypePad, if I remember correctly. And I just typed in amateur gourmet. I just sort of chose that because it felt right, because I didn't know what I was doing. And, and I guess the premise early on was, I'm not an expert. Like, watch me screw up in the kitchen. And, I'll, I, you know, here's the thing that I accidentally set on fire. And, I mean, early on, I would have disaster after disaster, uh, which people, I think, enjoyed. And I, 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 was, I was very, like... Similar to you, I liked putting on a show back then, and so I like wrote songs, I made videos, I like did cartoons, like I did all kinds of stuff because I was so eager to get away from law school and like do something creative. And lucky, luckily, like it, it took off and it got really popular, and I was able to sort of turn that into a career. I'm still trying to figure that out uh, <laughs> 20 years later. <laughs> Aren't we all? Aren't yeah. we all? You know, yes, we are all trying to figure it out. And let me tell you something that since 2009, when I started, I had to, the amount of times I've had to like reinvent myself, right? Because mm-hmm. something happened or, you know, I just like kind of lost the gusto for like this or this, the, something wasn't working, you know? And, and, you know, it's that like pivot ball change that you have to do. Mm-hmm. And, and it's like, it's 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 this never ending process of like growing and but it's re- it's really interesting just to see how much the the media field in general right uh, as far as like the internet has changed especially for people like you and me but especially you right because mm-hmm. you're you I was started in '09 you know what mm-hmm. I mean it, it, yeah, it's re- that's a little later yeah I mean for me like it it started out as something that could never be a career like. There was never a sense like, oh, I'm going to make money from this food blog. That, that, was, that was never a thought that crossed my, my mind at all. If anything, I thought of it as like a launching pad for my voice or just like a way to find an audience. But the fact that like eventually it became a way to like sell advertising and, you know, in, do integrations and all. I mean, like there was just so much that happened with food blogging after that. 
that it got a little tainted for me. You know, it sort of lost its luster a little bit. But um, it's also really cool, like, how many people were able to support themselves as food bloggers during a period of time. So, yeah, um, absolutely. Um, you know, it's and the other interesting thing and the other the other thing I'm really surprised that we've never crossed paths on is because, you know, back then there weren't a lot of the food bloggers were housewives and moms, you know, mm-hmm. people, people who had like a little bit of extra time to like kind of be at home and, and take, you know, crappy pictures of their food and <laughs> recipes down, right. you know, because the photos back then are not like the photos now. That's for sure. Oh yeah. Of course. <laughs> I mean, my pictures on my first couple of years of food blogging are all flash pictures from my tiny little camera. They're so bad, but that's kind of what made it cute. But now it wouldn't fly. So totally. Yeah, absolutely. But also, but also the fact that like being, you know, male food bloggers, but being gay food bloggers too, like, you know, there was, I, I never saw anybody like me out there, you know, even at Mm. like things like tech munch and like all these other, you know, things created for food people, you know, in your food journey, do you think on that note, right? Because this is a big gay food podcast. Do you think there's such a thing as queer food? Ooh, that's a good question. I have to thank Michael Twitty for it as you, uh, as you, um, you know, ponder upon this as, because he came on and we did a whole like queer food segment and, you know, he took me down the trails of history as oh, he right. does. <laughs> yeah, well, in that case, for sure. I mean, I think he, he would know more than I would in terms of history. I mean, I have certain foods. For some reason, quiche, I always think of as queer food, maybe because of the, the like the cliche on sitcoms where it's like, the gay man like was bringing the quiche to the dinner party or like I burned the quiche. Like there was something very funny and effeminate about the word quiche. And I don't know why. Um, and so quiche is queer food, I think. And even starts with Q. So it's a Q food. Um, and then, so, so what you're saying is all Q foods are queer foods. So, so, oh, so far we have quince, 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 uh, canals, Canals, yeah, canals are kind of queer, I think. Yeah. Oh yes, right. Like the yeah. dollop of it all. <laughs> it's so. I mean, it's so fussy. Like you know, straight men don't canal unless they're like at a four star restaurant. Um, yes. And, and then I'm and then of, you know, give them a beer and they're kind yeah, of gay, right? <laughs> straightens them back up. I'm trying to think like what other queer foods I would think. For some reason, I, I just thought of like a Cosmo, like the cocktail. It's like. If you see a man drinking a Cosmo, it's almost certainly a, a, a queer person. I mean, the the men of the Real Housewives of New Jersey are forever drinking apple martinis. Oh, that's true. That Yeah, I don't know what to make of that. That's a little confusing. Do you watch the Real Housewives of New Jersey? I watch most of the franchises. <laughs> I, um, I'm an East Coast housewife aficionado, but I live in California. But I have to stop watching the Beverly Hills one because it's so gross to me now and just awful. It, and it, it's just, it, it makes me feel sick watching it. I, I'm a Lisa Rinna stan, no matter how, how many problems she causes. <laughs> she is yeah, problematic. But, but Erica I am here Jane for... is, like, evil. Oh, my God. Erica Jane. Erica Jane. Erica Jane. Erica yes. Jane. <laughs> I have a story that has nothing to do with food. I'll tell it in, like, 0.2 seconds, which is that when I worked, when I was going to law school, I was not very good at it. 
but my parents came to visit me and they were at a hotel and I was pl- I played the piano and I was playing for them and a woman came over and put a $20 bill down and asked me to play um, the theme from somewhere in time, the movie. Mm-hmm. And so I started playing it and my mom gave the money back to the people uh, just to make conversation. And it turned out it was Tom Girardi and Erica Jane and they hired me to like go work at his law firm, which I had no idea was this corrupt, like evil, like workplace. So I worked there for a whole summer and Erica oh. Jane got me my job. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> yeah, there's my connection. In your mouth, listeners, we have the full tea on what <laughs> actually happened in the Girardi Keys. I case. had no idea. I mean, we I, do like, not. So we do not. Yeah. We do not claim these things. I don't need Erica Jane coming after me. Oh, I know. <laughs> actually, that's so funny because my friend does a Bravo podcast and just spoke about... Um, one of the Diana on the Real Housewives, and she said something about her and got a cease and desist letter from the, from Diana's lawyer. So be very careful yes. what you say. Yes, Erica Jane, Erica Jane. You know, mm-hmm. you do you, girl. You do you, and look I'm fabulous. derailing your food podcast. All right, let's go back to food. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing <laughs> and hysterical. What would you say before we cut out to the break? What do you? Was there a pivotal point where? During this food journey of yours, where you actually realized that the amateur gourmet was like, was it was like, you know, that what was that viral moment that (laughs) you were like, oh, oh, this is actually a thing. And I actually really enjoy doing this as well. So like, bing, bang, Mm -hmm. boom, let's go. Um, I went. I had a crazy experience where every year that El Bui, that restaurant, like molecular gastronomy restaurant in Spain, that is no longer there, but it was this really influential restaurant. And every year I would apply for reservations. It was like applying to college. You just submitted and you hoped to get in. It was like 2,000 2000 people got reservations out of like, you know, 4 million people trying. And then one year in 2006, after I met my partner, Craig, I got a reservation and we flew to Spain, and we drove up the coast of Rafa, and we went to El Bulli. And like a very good food blogger, I took my little videos, and I took my pictures, and I wrote everything down. And when I got back, I did a giant post where it was like, um, you know, pictures from the trip, but I like put it like in a cartoon format with like speech balloons and images and video. And I posted it, and, and that went viral. And I heard from like so many like chefs, and like it was on Eater, and it was like, I think maybe the New York Times had a blog that linked to it, like just all this cool stuff. And I was like, wow, like how cool is this that like I got, I got to like share this experience with so many people and this is like such a special thing. And also it really felt like the medium itself lent itself to that kind of storytelling. You know, it's like what other medium can you have video and, you know, writing and pictures and stuff. So that was like maybe my peak moment um, of really loving doing my blog. I love that. I love that. I love that. Do you think that through this journey of writing your blog, right, that you're going back to this queer food question, that your your queerness, your gayness, your whatever, your being kind of added to that, like added a little flavor to that, like, and really kind of shaped it in what it was? Yeah, that's a really, yeah, I haven't really thought about that, but there, there was something rebellious about my blog at the time in my life that I created it, which was, I felt like the forces in my life, not just my parents, but just like my family, like just the, the, the world as it was, felt like it was pushing me into a very conventional place. It was like be a lawyer. I mean, marry a woman, have children. <laughs> like all these things were kind of being 
foisted a on woman. me. A woman? Yeah, I know. imagine? <laughs> and so here I was, like, fighting against that, fighting against law school, fighting against, you know, being, well, trying to embrace my sexuality at that time. And then I was just doing this, like, play, I had this place on the web where I could be weird and be myself. And I think just being able to find my voice on there and to have people validate that voice. I mean, nothing was like the moment where I finally, like, came out on my blog, like, two years in. I had never said explicitly that I'm gay. I just, like, just wrote about my friends. I mean, it seemed pretty clear because I was just always going out with groups of gay people. <laughs> mm-hmm. it was, I, th- I thought it was pretty obvious. But then when I started dating my partner, Craig, I said, oh, and this is the guy I'm dating, Craig. And all the comments were like, oh, my God, I always knew you you were gay, but I didn't know for sure. And I was like, oh, my God, amazing. Now we know who you're kissing. I remember some of you said, like, it was just so, it was liberating. And I was like, oh, this is like a very safe place for me that I've created where I can be my true self. And, and I, think, I think the internet still feels that way to me, actually. Like, now I do Substack and I do, like, I'm trying to do TikTok. But the internet has always felt like a safe haven for some reason, um, in a way that the real world sometimes doesn't. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's an interesting take. The internet feels like a, a, a safe haven when, like, there's so many, you know, trolls and whatnot yeah. out there trying that's to true. take you down. <clears throat> but what the trolls don't know is that, like, for example, I posted a pride, you know, a pride video of me, like, raising the pride flag with Break My Soul underneath, and it went viral for, like, you know, a small viral moment. And all these hate comments started appearing and appearing and appearing. And my friends were like, oh, no, delete them, ignore them. And I was like, you know what? I am not bothered. What they don't yeah. realize is that this is pushing me forward. Like, yes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Like, I mean, it's I, causing I gotta... the algorithm to, like, keep pushing me forward oh, because more people, are, more people are commenting, so more people are going to see this. So, like... Hate on haters, what you're doing is actually lifting me up into a place where more people can see this. That's really interesting. Yeah, because as I was talking and I said that it was such a safe haven, I hadn't been, I wasn't thinking about trolls. And there certainly were trolls in my feed, and I would get like nasty emails from people. But, but for the large bulk of it was just support and positivity. And so I think that it's, I think it's everything to do with what you're saying, like how you react to the negative stuff. It's like if you're able to brush that aside, I think the Internet can be a really great place. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Oh, my God. This is a great place for a break. But before we go, before we go, I need to ask you because you're on the subject of coming out and coming out on your blog. And I think our stories matter because we never know who's listening to us and who we can affect with our story. Would you mind talking to me about your coming out story? Sure. Um, well, I mean, I came out when I was in college. I went to Emory um, in Atlanta, and I had two The year best- was 1872. Uh, yeah, it was early <laughs> 1700s. Um, and I had two best female friends whose names I will leave out of this for obvious reasons once I tell this story. But they were in my dorm room, and I it was just like, I remember it was like around Halloween, and I was like, I need to do this. Like, I need to do this. So I didn't know how to do it, so I was like, um, let's play a game, you guys. Like, let's play a game called like Deepest Darkest Secrets. And they're like, okay. And I was like, let's each like tell our deepest darkest secrets. And so like one of my female friends was like, well, I've never talked about this before. She's like, but um, I've never been kissed. Like I've never kissed anyone, and I'm really embarrassed, and it's like really sad. And I was like, yeah, 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 that's great. And then the next friend was like, 
Um, well, actually, like I used to struggle with anorexia, and then I was like, uh huh, uh huh, uh huh, uh-huh. like let's get on with it. <laughs> and then it was like, I was like, I'm gay, <laughs> and they're like, oh my god. And now when I look back on it, I'm like, wait a second, like those secrets that they were telling me were pretty serious secrets, and like I was so narcissistic that I was just like wrapped up in my like coming out story. So now I look back on that like, oh. Uh, I kind of was forcing the moment to be about me. But at the same time, it was really a nice way to come out because we were all sharing and connecting. And that was great. And then I came out to most of my college friends. And then I called my parents. That didn't go so well. Um, and that took a long time to you know work through. But my parents have really come around. And years later, uh, I had a wedding to my partner. And my parents helped pay for it. So... Um, that was the happy end, you know, the the climax of the, the movie, I guess, version of this. Yeah, I love that. And I mean, there has to be a little self-forgiveness in there, right? And, uh, which I'm sure you've done and realized that, like, you know, we as young people are so self-involved, especially when we're yeah. going through some major crap, you know? Right. <laughs> that, like, yeah. that, like, major things like that just, like, yeah, that's great, but what about me? As opposed yeah, to, like, being... Being fully formed humans, right? And that understand, like, oh, wait, what did you just say to me? Wait, what? I know. <laughs> and there I thought I was having an issue. I mean, there is a really funny thing about being gay and narcissistic that I'm still trying to figure out. Because, like, you know, most of my gay friends are narcissists, myself included. And I wonder if that's, like, like, like I mean, actually, I talk about this in therapy sometimes. And my therapist says narcissism has to do with, like, low self-esteem. Um, and so it kind of makes sense when you're first coming out. I mean, in, in that period of my life in particular, like to be so self-focused and also feeling so crappy about myself and so unsure of myself and eager to like get this out there. So yeah, I think you're right. Some self-forgiveness yeah. is... Due. Self-forgiveness. I mean, it took me a long time to learn how to self-forgive, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and I'm even these days... Yeah, still working on it, still working on it. And um, I say it a lot, or I've been saying it a lot more often these days, is that, you know, coming out is just not this one thing, you know? Mm -hmm. It's this ever-evolving thing. We're forever coming out to somebody. We're forever evolving as humans and then re, you know, reinventing ourselves and coming out again and and whatnot. And so, you know, this is why our stories matter, right? From whence we came to where we are to where we're going. You know what I mean? And it's important for people to hear about this. And, and we never know who we can help or inspire or, or, you know, just, I mean, even just through my blog, I'm sure, I'm sure through your stuff too. Like I've, I've heard from countless uh, people who are closeted, who ask for advice for coming out and a couple that I even like, you know, mentored or like spoke to before they came out to their family. So yeah, it's an incredible, uh, aspect of being a queer food writer is like the food is sort of like the 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 screen or like the thing that like seems like it's about that but it's actually about something deeper it's about who you are and what you represent to people so i think that that's a it's a really cool way to think about it yeah and and this is one of the joys of this podcast and why this podcast has kind of grown into this is the Seymour, right? This is a little shop of horrors, not the Seymour. This is the, the Audrey too ah, right? right, <laughs> of the of food course. world, right? Yes. Because this this took over my life. I'm not driving this car. This podcast, like, literally was like, you know what we're doing? We're doing this thing. And right. it's part of the joy of, like, you know, being being here with people like you and and getting getting to know you. Yes, we talk about the food and the journey and the cooking and the and the books and and the hard work and the fabulous things that all of us are doing in the food world. But then when do we, as 
in our fields get to tell, in this field specifically, get to tell this story, mm-hmm. you know? Especially yeah. if you're working behind the line, right? Mm-hmm. In restaurants where they really don't understand that for the most part. Right. That's a really good it's, point. Yeah. And so it's connecting with each other, right? And hopefully connecting to the audience out there, right? In this in this way, right? Through through food, because food is universal, right? And 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 learning these things, you know, and and having having these moments. Right. And I think I I think that's I think that's a lovely like, you know, Brene Brown or something. (laughs) Someone who I really uh, aspire to be. Right. There's just like one Brene Brown clip that Craig, my partner and I saw where she's like, if when somebody's like depressed, like you need to come down into the well with them. And like that's the only Brene Brown thing we've ever seen. And now whenever like Craig's in a bad mood, he's like, you need to come down into the well with me. And I'm like, oh, my God, like. (laughs) That's like the, you saw like one percent of this entire thing, and you just keep quoting it. But it's actually kind of good advice. So listen, get get down there. Just get down yeah, there for that you man. Have to get please. into the well. It's true. You get into the well. Get a little well. wet. Yeah. Get a yes. little wet, and like when you <laughs> climb out, you know maybe <laughs> you'll be the better for it. <laughs> I hope so. Is that the name of this episode? Getting into the well. I don't know. <laughs> listen, in your mouth, listeners. Um, it is time to cut out to this break. Adam and I need a sip of water, and we actually may go out and join this protest for a minute, and we're <laughs> going to be back with my favorite part and your favorite part of the podcast. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. All right, Adam, I hope you're ready for my favorite part and the audience's favorite part of the podcast. A little something we like to call Food News Update! Food News, honey, you ain't ready, girl. Spill the tea. News Update. You can order a box of the world's rarest cucumbers to try in your next gin and tonic. <laughs> what? Yeah, you can order a box of rare cucumbers to, <laughs> to not only put in your gin and tonic, but to do whatever else you feel fit. Wait, do you put cucumbers in your gin and tonic? I guess that's a good idea. I've never done that before. What do you mean? Really? I've just put gin and tonic and a lime in my gin and tonic, but cucumbers sound very refreshing. Yeah, I mean, I I felt I feel like that's standard. I, I'm not that bougie. Also, I'm not. I will eat a cucumber, but I'm not a fan of a cucumber. Oh. Does that make sense? I like a I like a cucumber in a Greek salad. I think it's good there. Yeah, um, I mean, I'll I like, eat them. I, I like Persian cucumbers because they're a little more concentrated. I don't like a watery cucumber it's like mostly like just like liquid so i'm, I'm I, I hear that prefer a persian cucumber yeah. <laughs> you got it okay <laughs> hello honk if you love persian cucumbers well apparently um 
Hendricks is now working to cultivate some of the world's rarest cucumbers, ensuring they'll be available for garnishing your next gin and tonic. Hendricks master distiller Leslie Gracie partnered with Lenore Newman, Ph.D., the director of the Food and Agriculture Institute at the University of the Fraser Valley, to identify some of the scarcest cucumber species that are scattered throughout multiple continents. And basically... Um, they focused on six varieties and seeds from those fruits were planted and cultivated in greenhouses. And now you can order a box of them and like get them to put in your gin and tonics. <laughs> are they only are, are they designed for gin and tonics exclusively? Like, could you put it in a salad? I mean, of course you could. I mean, why? Uh, I mean, if you're eating it. Why couldn't you put it in a salad, right? <laughs> because Hendrix developed it. Maybe it has like certain botanical qualities that lend themselves better to drinking. No, it sounds to me like these are what we call, wouldn't you call these heritage cucumbers? Or does that Maybe. not fall, fall into that category? Some, um, I just made some moldy cucumbers because I was trying to make pickles at home. I saw that. I saw that. Yes, and you, and it did you not left. go very well. Yeah. You left you left things sticking out of the brine, and that's why I the did. mold fo- formed. I know, right? And I was moldy. going to comment on that, but like everybody else has answered you. <laughs> yeah, I, moldy cucumbers are not as good as heritage cucumbers. I can no in or out of the bedroom. I mean, <laughs> I hadn't thought about that. <laughs> I just thought this was really interesting, um, and that like. Hendrix has like spearheaded this whole um, like cucumber rejuvenation, right? Because I mean, it's kind of like it's extinct. It's what I guess the good part of zoos, if there is a good part of zoos, don't come after me, Peter, is doing for animals. Like you know, like rare cucumbers that are on the verge of being extinct. They like found the seeds and are cultivating more of them. So now there's more of them to get your hands on, and now they can do this like funny little promo to hand them out to stick, you know, shove one in your gin and tonic. I was just thinking of like a cucumber petting zoo. That sounds like something <laughs> that we can make a lot of money with, you know. Come pet some heritage uh, you know, cucumbers. You know, back in the day, I feel like Times Square used to be a cucumber petting zoo. <laughs> I knew you were going to go there, yeah. I thought you were going to make an I eagle mean, joke again. <laughs> how, how could you not? How could you not? I think we're here for this, no matter how yeah, you enjoy it. Honestly, I set, the, I set up the perfect <laughs> queer food podcast joke. That was like... You know, consummate in your mouth uh, podcast material. I mean, you are on a podcast called In Your Mouth, but I, like, listen, it is it is educational and fun at the same time. You is. see what I'm we did there? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Kellogg's wants you to add water to your cereal. Have you heard these with these Kellogg's Insta Bowls? No, I've not heard. Anything no, about would you this. put water in your cereal? Like. There's been beer in the cereal. There's been orange juice in the cereal. And now there's water in your cereal. I would prefer water to beer or orange juice in my cereal, but I much would prefer milk. But it's interesting because I've been going, my coffee beverage in the morning used to be like an iced cappuccino or something. Now I'm doing an iced Americano, which is basically just a little bit of espresso with water and ice. So maybe like in a similar vein, adding water to cereal might just you know, tastes like a like thinner, lighter version of adding milk. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, this is, and Kellogg's is not a sponsor, and thank you to my other non-sponsor, Food and Wine, who Adam has written for, uh, for keeping yeah. me up to date on all my food news. Actually, do you know Mike Pomerantz? He needs to, he's, that's the queen, the straight queen of food news. He needs I to come on this Mike podcast. No, you know? yeah. <laughs> is he from Food and Wine? Yeah, he is. He, he's one of the major people who writes all these food articles. Shout out to you, Mike. Come on the pod. Um, but apparently it's powdered milk. It's like it's this bowl that already has some powdered milk and a I fill see. line on it. So, like, you can just take it on the go and add water. How has this not been? Like a, yeah, it's a trendy ingredient. I know that, like, Christina Tosi puts it in all her desserts and stuff. So, Yeah, not? right? Is powdered milk the new the new trending food of the end of 2022? <laughs> Maybe. I could see that. Powdered milk. Yeah. Sprinkle it on your cereal. Uh, do like on... the cinnamon challenge, but with powdered milk. Oh, yeah. Well, it's funny because um, there's a formula shortage for babies because, yeah. uh, you know, one of those companies had. Bro- so it feels like those two things go hand in hand in 2022, like powdered milk in your cereal, not enough formula. I don't know how this all links up, but it just feels very 2022. Uh, are, are we feeding cereal to babies? Like, <laughs> are you a cereal? Per- are you a cereal <laughs> person? I used to love a Frankenberry, but I can't tell you when the last time I had a bowl of cereal was. I went through a Kashi phase, which is a very was a very intense period of my life. It's be- it, it was it was your about. it was your le- lesbian phase. Yes, my lesbian. <laughs> when I was in college, I loved kicks cereal like yeah, i would delish. eat it by the handful like when i was like studying for an exam i just there's something about that texture is like eating styrofoam but like in a really good way <laughs> and when i was a kid do you remember those like little six packs you got to like get the yes six pack of, yes those were amazing like with corn yes. pops and honey smacks and yeah because I mean, then I'm, you can mix and match to... cereal and like oh, my yeah. mom wouldn't be mad about it because like i wasn't like opening multiple bo- like big boxes that were going to go bad Right, yeah. yeah, and it was such a treat to get that as a kid. So yes, yeah, I used I'm to be obsessed with guy. Frankenberry and Kaboom, and what else? Captain Crunch or Crunchberry? Mm. I would go as far as to say that Frankenberry is queer food. Frank, you know what? Frankenberry was a queer icon. Yeah, you know, we could add her to the list. Clearly queer. Yeah, <laughs> that is a queer cereal. It's the queerest. Yes, right. I think we're here for this in the last, but not least. <laughs> a six-year-old man paddles 38 miles in a hollowed-out pumpkin to break the world record. <laughs> I don't even know what to say to that. that just, wait, first of all, there's a world record already established about paddling a, a hollowed-out pumpkin? Yeah. Like, Was it set by Cinderella? No, <laughs> it's possible that is true. <laughs> maybe I don't know. You know what? I figured we'd go down. Um, I figured maybe you would take me down like a food waste um conversation here, but like, cause that's a large pumpkin, and couldn't that feed people? I'm just right? even trying to visualize this. Like, if you hollowed out a large pumpkin and put it in water and sat inside of it. It would stay atop of the water. That's crazy to me. Yeah, I mean, on August 27th, two official <laughs> witnesses, friends and family, watched as Nebraska resident Dwayne Hansen paddle an 846-pound floating pumpkin down to Missouri River in attempt to beat the Guinness World Record. Wait, 846-pound pumpkin? Yeah. 
That's crazy. I need to see pictures of this. When we hang up, I'm going to go look this up online. <laughs> that is wild. I've Isn't never... that crazy? Yes. That is a very specific thing to do with your life and with a pumpkin. I mean, yeah, but there are people out there. It's a whole trending thing, apparently, that, like, people, there's seminars on how to grow, like, oversized gourds and things. <laughs> well, <laughs> a gourd, an oversized gourd petting zoo can be set up next to our cucumber petting zoo, depending and, on whether you're a size queen or not. <laughs> <laughs> You know Sorry, what? This is going off the I rails. I, 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 and this is why I love this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if I'm here for the food waste, but good for you for accomplishing a goal at 60 years old. Because, I mean, we all have to have a passion in life. And with it's that, true. I think that's the best way to end food <laughs> news update. I mean... <laughs> You're gonna go to your husband and be like, "What the hell did I just do?" Um, but like, I think I just ruined my whole career. But it's okay; you know, it was worth it. No, Yvonne Freeland can get can get on here and talk to me about some real crazy things and still have a job at the New York Times. I think you I, are saying I'm okay. Okay, <laughs> absolutely. You know, it, it it rounds you out. It makes you. It really grounds you as a real, you know, mm-hmm. stalwart of the LGBTQ community here on in your mouth you know listen i want to get into before we close out this new book give my swiss charts to broadway (laughs) right (laughs) you you could do our audio book that was great i could i could i i I give you a good eddie Cantor. you know i have it all i have it all down what inspired this book um well so gideon glick is a broadway actor who i saw in spring awakening original cast and um so he and i became friends internet friends on twitter and then we met in real life and somewhere along the way he tweeted like right into the middle of the pandemic he tweeted some kind of joke about like bernadette pizza he's like should i write a children's book called bernadette pizza or about the adventures of bernadette pizza and all these people are like oh my god that's amazing and then like i think i chimed in like patty lascone like just like stuff like that and then he sent me a message. He's like, do you think this could really be a book? And I was like, sure. I was like, that sounds great. I was like, although maybe you'd run out of divas. Like, maybe it'd be more fun if you did, like, spins on Broadway shows uh, and then made them recipes so that there's a recipe. And he's like, oh, my God, I love that. And then we spent, like, a month just cracking each other up, like, texting back and forth, like, chicken breast side story, um, the sound of moussaka, Sunday in the pork with George. And we just thought it was funny, like, to come up with these recipes. And then... At some point, I just emailed my literary agent who helped me sell my, my cookbook. And I, I knew that she loved musicals. So I was just like, do you think this is a book? And I really didn't expect her to say yes. And she's like, I love this. Yes, do it. let's do a proposal. So then we wrote the proposal. We had 50 puns, recipes, and we sold the book to Countryman and uh, got a great illustrator named Justin Squiggs Robertson. Yes, and iconic, iconic. Iconic, yeah. And so we had so much fun. I mean... This was our pandemic project. This was what, what I was doing, you know, during the pandemic when we were all sitting home alone, miserable. I was on Zoom with Gideon uh, coming up with puns and cooking and cracking each other up. Oh, that, uh, that's amazing. You were you were there being creative and coming out with a book, and I was here drinking and eating tacos every night. <laughs> <laughs> I was doing plenty of that, too. I was also playing Legend of Zelda, The Breath of the Wild, which I'd never... I had never played video games since I was a kid, and I got very addicted to it. So, yes. I, yes, that I one was, was for all so the productive. gamers out there. <coughs> yes, it was very queer. 
Yes, I love that. I love that. So what kind of like, what kind of food should we be expecting from it, right? Because, I mean, if if you're giving me a chicken breast side story, I don't know what that tastes like. Well, that's a great one because it's, um, you know, it has some Puerto Rican flair to it. I actually spoke to Eliana Masonette. Yes, friend uh, to the podcast, right? Friend um, to the podcast, yeah. And also she, recently um, came out as queer, too, I, th- she I think. She did, yes. Yes. And um, so she gave me advice on how to zhuzh up my dish, which had pineapple marinated chicken breast because of the land of pineapple breezes or you know that's a lyric from west side story mm-hmm. and then um and we had plantains uh in with that and then i had a, a rice with cilantro and lime juice and she yelled at me and she's like no 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 this isn't this isn't chipotle i remember she said she said you know if this is puerto rican an influence you need to put sazon saison is that how you say that sazon sazon seasoning sazon. in it so uh, that's what i did and so that was the chicken breast side story. But, like, there's so many fun, like, Sunday in the Pork with George. Um, I, I, I love that musical, and it's all about pointillistic painting. So for that one, yep. I, I did, like, um, uh, I put peppers and, and herbs and carrots, like, in the food processor, and then, like, mixed them up with uh, ground meat or ground pork so that uh, the meatballs had flecks of color. and Yeah, light, just speckles. Like so, yeah, speckles. So, like, every recipe sort of reflects the musical in some way, which... Uh, it was really fun. Oh, the Wicked One, Wicked Doodles, like Snickerdoodles, but they have mat- green matcha powder in them to turn them green, like Alphaba. So, yeah, it's, uh, it was really creative and fun. It, it sounds really creative and a bit complicated. Was it, was it a hurdle to, like, kind of really no, put no, it all it together? Just, I mean, I don't, I mean, the only hurdle was, like, if there was, a, if there was like, a show that we couldn't come up with a pun for. There was, like, a handful or we couldn't think of like a pun, but otherwise, no. I mean, it was just, sure, it was just so much fun. Honestly, I had a great time doing it. I love that. I love that, and I can't wait to get my hands on it. What's your favorite recipe out of the book? Ooh, that's a hard one. Um, I really love Pinto the Woods, which is our uh, white bean dip, like milky white bean dip, uh, with uh, all kinds of greens, greens, and nothing but greens uh, in the dip. But it's like white beans with garlic and herbs and. I made this for some friends that has olive oil and it's like, you know, you dip like pita chips into it and it's a fantastic appetizer. But also those wicked doodles, I I actually have a batch over my shoulder. Like the green tea powder in um, snickerdoodles is actually a really good addition because it gives it a little bitterness and depth. Uh, And then if you want to add green food coloring, it's great for Halloween. Oh, oh well, we're just we're covering all <laughs> all yeah. the things here. <laughs> hey, I'm the QVC of my queer cookbook, so there you go. <laughs> and being a QVC host is like my ultimate dream. Oh, odd, well, odd as it sounds, I want to be on your TV with, at like four in the morning. Isn't there a show with Vanessa Bayer on TV right now? Where she that's that's her dream. Did oh, is it? That? No, yeah, I, I don't. I don't know that one. I'm gonna have to find it. I think it's called "I Love That" for you. Oh, well, I love that for you. Uh, you know what? I love this for you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> oh, my God. And I'm seeing Into the Woods tomorrow. Amazing. Um, in, uh, in two weeks. I'm so excited. It's supposed to be amazing. This oh, my God. Well, we must have we must have a drink when you're in town. <laughs> yes, I'd love to finally meet you in real life, too. That'd be great. Yes, that would be incredible. I can't thank you enough, and I can't wait to get my hands on this book, right? Because this is um, this is a yummy, pun intended, for all the musical theater geeks out there, um, for sure. 
it's it's really it's really um it's really inspiring and I love I just love that it's a a separation that's not the word I'm looking for a a departation of like you know a standard cookbook right and mm-hmm. I I love you know I love my Nigella Lawson or my you know my Mission Street food what else is up here my gluten-free girl every day you know yeah. <laughs> right with beautiful photos and I'm sure you have all that too but this is just like you know it's it's a light-hearted way to like kind of present what seem to be really great recipes right that I mean, and I'm sure they are because you've been doing this forever. So I'm really excited. You are a good QVC on. host. I'm like, I'm like, I'm ready to buy this and I, and I already have a coffee. So that was great. Thank you. Yeah. Well, listen, <laughs> I, I don't have just anybody on this podcast. You know? <laughs> well, they don't call I'm me the honored. Andy Cohen of <laughs> food for nothing, honey. Okay. Yeah. No, this was a lot of fun. I'm, I, you definitely asked me things that no other food podcast host has asked me. So I appreciate it. And it was really well, fun we, to talk to you. I said it before and I say it again, right? Yes, yes, we celebrate you in food, but here on In Your Mouth, we want to get to know the whole you, you know? We, we, want, a, we want a full tasting. We want the full tasting menu here on the podcast. Well, you got it. All right? Yes, I'm glad to share my full buffet of myself. Yes, yes, <laughs> right? Tell the kids where they can buy the book, give them all the handles and let them know when we are opening our cucumber petting zoo, please. (laughs) (laughs) Um, You can buy the book wherever books are sold online. It comes out October 4th, but pre-ordering it is a great help to us because it just helps people become more aware of the book. So if you want to order it, please pre-order it. And I will be in New York for a book signing event at the drama bookshop um, in early October. So keep your eyes peeled for that. You can follow me on all social media at Amateur Gourmet. I'm on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and now TikTok. Um, And I will keep you updated. But um, yeah, I think that was that. Oh, and the petting zoo, the petting zoo will be opening in early November. Early November. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) I have to grow my giant gourd first, but I have some Viagra, so I think I should be fine. 284 pounds of a giant gourd. Yes, exactly. And then we can go go swimming with it in in the Hudson, right? That sounds like a perfect first date for when we finally meet. Yes, and and we can go oyster farming because they just dumped a million oysters into the Hudson. So, sounds delicious. I can't wait right. to eat those. <laughs> I don't know about that. You and I are going to keep going back and forth for the next two hours. <laughs> All right, I'll let you I, wrap it up. <laughs> I love you so much. And this has been such an honor and a pleasure. I've, I told you off, um, off microphone, right, that I was so excited to have you here because, wow. you know, you and I have slightly been communicating via Twitter and socials and I've and I've been following you for such a long time. So it's been such a pleasure to have you on. So oh. thank you, thank you, thank you so much for coming on to my big gay podcast to talk to little old me, right? And I giving had me a up blast. your time. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It was <laughs> lots of fun. Yes, in your mouth, listeners, go buy, give my Swiss charts to Broadway, wherever you buy your books, right? From Amazon to your local bookshop to I'm sure it's on the indie book list too. Right. Um, go support Adam. It sounds like a great book. I personally can't wait to get my hands on one. Right. I do. Li- I do live it, 
on the Great White Way here. So it, it yeah. my 120 square feet would be a, a miss without one. So, and go follow Adam everywhere on all socials. Show him all the love. It's been a great episode, and thank you once again. Other than that, um, we are nearing this date of October 12th. What's happening on October 12th? Well, it's after Adam's book comes out, and I can't tell you more than that just now. But it's going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day in television history, is all I got to say. <laughs> and other than that, go get the la- go enjoy the last moments of summer. Go get that vitamin D and, you know, drink your last glass of rosé for me. And with that, all I have to say is thank you for listening to In Yo One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.